So uh, back in the days when I was traveling a lot with my nonprofit, I kept encountering some significant weirdos around the world. And I'm not just talking about like people who smelled kind of funny at like a backpacker's hostel. I'm talking about, I'll call them uh, weirdos of the faith, okay? I met a lot of, of weirdos of the faith, people whose dedication to, to Christ, dedication to the church was like borderline extreme. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Pranjal, one of my friends in India. Pranjal dedicated his entire life to dismantling the caste system with the love of Jesus, okay? And so he never took a paycheck. He just sort of trusted that God would provide what he needed as he did his ministry. And then God did. God just provided for Pranjal, and he lived every day just expecting God to take care of him. Nuts. He's crazy. He's a weirdo, right? Uh, extreme. Or, or Ira, my friend in Ukraine. Uh, Ira, she, she grew up in a culture that wanted to keep all weakness completely hidden in the shadows. She dedicated her life to bringing that weakness and, and stuff into the light. She, she served people who were in need, kids with disabilities, even though everybody in her community thought that she was nuts. She's a weirdo, right? Weirdo of the faith. Uh, I could talk about uh, Pastor Fred in Kenya. Pastor Fred graduated at the top of his class in seminary. He could have gone on to do anything he wanted to do, but instead he moved in to East Africa's largest slum and began dedicating his life to young adults and trying to help people emerge out of poverty with the love of Jesus. I mean, he put himself in literal harm's way day after day uh, at risk of, of getting ill. There was a lot of sickness in Kibera. He was at risk of, of there's violence and robbery in that place, but he willingly moved in what a weirdo, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to say, I met a bunch of extremists like this, people that seem to me like extreme weirdos. I mean, nobody gives up that much for the gospel, right? Realistically, I mean, I, yeah, you give, you're generous, sure, but you don't give it all. You don't give everything. Or, or you, you don't put yourself in harm's way. Nobody would, nobody would willingly do that, right? That's extreme. You serve, but you don't sacrifice everything, right? That's, that's the way that we would think. These people are weirdos. At least that's what I thought at first. That's what I thought at first. But as time went on, it just kept on happening. Like I kept meeting people like Pranjal and Ira and Fred, a bunch of people over and over. I, I began seeing so many people who were all in, and I mean all in for Jesus. People making tremendous sacrifices in their life for their faith as if it was the most ordinary thing in the world. And that's when it began to hit me. I, I had this moment. I, I can remember just thinking, hold on a second. What if these people were not the weirdos after all? What if they're not the weird ones? What if these extremists of the faith are actually normal? What if they're normal? What if dedicating your whole life to Jesus is an ordinary response to what he has done for us? Again, this is when it hit me. What if we're the weirdos? He, he, right here in, in suburban American Christianity, what if we are the weirdos for treating our faith as an afterthought? What if we are the weirdos for, for having our commitment to Jesus go just about as deep as our Instagram bio? Like, what if that's actually weird? What if, when it comes to following Jesus, we're the weird ones? This question, this, this way of, of flipping things around in my mind, it has transformed my faith. It's transformed me. It's the way I, the, transformed the way I think about faith. Uh, it, it changed the trajectory of my life 
Frankly, this question is the reason why I am a pastor today. Because, because if we are the weirdos, if we are, are the, the actually the weirdos here, and I think that we are, then we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do because our faith should not be so shallow, right, as, as American Christians. But not just that. If we are the weirdos, if we are actually the odd ones for, for having this be what our faith looks like, then, then we are missing out on some of what my friends that I met around the world have in abundance. Deep joy, fulfillment, peace, uh, purpose, abundance, uh, rich, rich presence of God in their day-to-day lives. These characteristics defined these guys that I met around the world. They may have struck me as weirdos at first, but as I look around at our culture today and I think about how much anxiety and depression and mind-numbing distractions we have day-to-day, I think, I kind of want some of what they have. Don't you? Well, that's what this series is all about. This new sermon series, we are going to ask what it looks like to give everything to God and what we stand to gain if we do. That's what we're going to talk about. The series, uh, Put Me In Coach, is named after one of our core values as a church. Uh, Marcus already mentioned it, but our core value, one of our core values, is Put Me In Coach. And I have to clarify that that there's a comma there. This has nothing to do with where you sit on an airplane. It's not Put Me In Coach. It's Put Me In (laughs) Coach. All right, we got that clear? All right, good. Here, here's the way we describe this value. Look, we will not sit on the sidelines. We won't sit on the sidelines when God's Spirit is moving. We are, as a church, activistic. We are engaged. We are passionate about using our gifts and our resources to heal this broken world in Jesus' name. Put me in, coach. I don't want to sit idly by. Okay, so that's our value. And in this series, We're going to explore what that looks like. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be all in for Christ and all in with your church? We're going to talk about things like discovering your spiritual gifts, um, how to think about yourself as a part of a bigger body. Um, What does it look like? How much joy and abundance might we be able to discover if we put it all on the line? And so to do that, to kind of guide us as we talk about all these things, we are going to look at just 18 verses in a very specific part of of our New Testament, the book of Romans. We're going to look in in Romans 12, uh, and and there's just a few verses that are going to give us a lot to chew on. So if you want to turn there with me uh, in your Bibles, that would be awesome. Page 944 in the House Bibles, Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Uh, Turn there, and, and as you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Father God, I know as we talk about this, that there's a temptation for us to feel perhaps a little guilty. Maybe we feel like we're not doing enough or it's not, it's about, you know, we're not performing enough in our faith or whatever that is. I pray that you would just sweep that all aside for us, God, because I really do believe you are offering an invitation to us, an invitation to experience something that is far more rich and deep and powerful than the faith that so many of us tend to fall into. So God, would you open our eyes to what's possible? As I preach, would you help me to just disappear and allow your Holy Spirit to remain? Would you give us ears to hear what it it means to say, put me in coach when it comes to our faith? God, guide us, speak, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
So let's get a little bit of background here to Romans 12 before we, uh, before we read. Uh, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, the book of Romans is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And in this book, he sets up a lot of really, really deep theological concepts, okay? The first 11 chapters of the book are, are where he establishes some major, major ideas like what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how Jews and Gentiles are now one in him and how, and you know, what does it look like for us to experience salvation? All that stuff he sets up in the first 11 chapters. And then here at, at Romans 12, Paul turns a huge corner because at this point he basically starts saying, all right, so all of that is true. Now what? Now what? What do we do as a result of all of this? And so these 18 verses that we're going to look at, this is the, the beginning of the rest of the, of the letter, of, of the, the letter to the Romans. And they are hugely important verses, which is why we're going to take it so slowly through these verses. Um, in fact, I, one of my favorite, probably my favorite uh, New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, he once said that, that these two verses that we're going to look at today, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you could pretty much sum up the entire written works of the Apostle Paul with just these two verses. Like this is basically everything that he covers is like right here as far as living for Christ, okay? So let's read these two verses and then we'll talk about what Paul means. So again, we've set up all these big concepts about what Christ accomplished and then Paul says this in Romans 12. And so, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Okay, so the key to these two verses, the key to what we just read, is this idea of, of our bodies becoming what Paul calls a living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice. So what does that mean? Well, it's helpful to remember the context, the world behind the text, of, of the ancient readers and writers. Back in the day that Paul was writing, Animal sacrifices were a major, major thing in just about every culture at the time. The way that people uh, interacted with their gods, the way they showed appreciation or worship to their gods was through sacrificing animals. And in ancient Israel specifically, again, the context, Paul was a Pharisee, he was well-versed in the law. In ancient Israel, people would take animals, something very, very valuable to them, maybe a sheep or a bull, and they would burn it on the altar at the temple as a form of showing their, their gratitude and their honor to God. It was worship. That's what this act was. It was a way of, of demonstrating with your actions the commitments of your heart. That's what the animal sacrificial system was all about. Now, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, for Christ followers, removed the need to sacrifice animals at all from, from you know, making us right with God. So that's no longer a part of, of our worship of God. But here, Paul is saying, yeah, but we do still need to make a sacrifice. Okay, so what are we sacrificing? Well, it's not something that we have. It's not a possession. It's not an animal. It is us. 
That's who we are, our bodies. That's a way of Paul describing our very selves, our lives. Paul is saying here that the thing that we are offering to God, what we are putting on this metaphorical altar in worship is us. We put ourselves as the sacrifice to God. But, and this is important, unlike animal sacrifices, where we you know, take the life of an animal and burn the body, these sacrifices are what Paul calls living sacrifices. Ongoing sacrifices, in other words. These, these aren't just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing sacrifice. And it's a holy sacrifice, Paul says. And holy just means set apart. This is not an ordinary, uh, mundane part of our world. It is set apart and, and special in some way that we would offer our bodies, our lives to God. So Paul is essentially saying, look, the way to truly and properly worship God is just this, just to give him your very life. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. This is a pretty extreme thing to say, all of it. That is what worshiping God looks like. But what I find interesting is what he says immediately after this. Uh, the end of verse 1 here, the NLT translates it as, this is truly the way to worship him. Uh, but there's some discussion among scholars here because in Greek, literally Paul says that this is your logical or rational worship. He uses the Greek word logikos, where we get the word logic. And, and it's a bit of an odd thing to say because I mean, normally when we think about faith, we think of it as the opposite of rational, rationality or logic, right? You know, it's, it's you believe in something unseen. That is the opposite of logic. But here Paul is saying, no, no. Giving your whole self to God, I mean, your entire life as a sacrifice, that's the rational thing to do. That's the, the logical thing for us to do. Why? Well, because of what he's been saying for the first 11 chapters of Romans, right? He's been setting up this whole idea that the God of the universe has made a tremendous sacrifice to, to bring us into relationship with him. He entered into our world as Jesus Christ to, to set us free. He gave his very life on the cross for you and for me. And so Paul's argument is, look, it is not logical or rational, <coughs> excuse me, it's not logical or rational to consider such a monumental truth and respond with, oh, neat. Look, that's, that's, no, that's great. No, it's so, so cool. I, I, you know what? I think I'll join a social club that I'll attend a couple times a month. Or, oh, you know, I might give a few bucks here and there when I feel like it if I've got a little bit left over. He's like, no, what are you talking about? That's not rational. That's not logical. The creator of time and gravity, he... he reshape the fabric of reality for you because he loves you so deeply. The only rational way to respond to that kind of sacrificial love is to give him all that we possibly can in return, which in our case is everything, everything, our lives. Again, these people that I was meeting around the world, right, they, they got this. They understood this. They understood that, that there is nothing more worthy of their time or their resources or their attention or their energy than the purposes of our God. Turns out they are not weirdos at all. No, they're the only logical ones. They're the only rational ones for responding to the love of God with complete and utter surrender. It just makes sense, in other words. 
Dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, I plead with you to give your bodies, your lives to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the logical way to worship him. Normal followers of Christ dedicate themselves as living sacrifices to God. It's normal. We are the weirdos if we think that he's worthy of anything less. All right, let's keep reading because that's probably plenty, but there's more. Let's look at verse 2. Paul gets into uh, here, he starts describing what, what this kind of all-in sacrifice actually looks like in our lives. He says this, he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, what he's talking about here, I, I think, is something that it's kind of a spiritual sounding word. We use it sometimes in church circles, but I think he's talking about what we call sanctification. Sanctification, which I'll define as the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We are shaped into people who look and think like him. That's sanctification. Now, before we believe, before we first surrender our lives to Jesus, we are, by definition, stuck. We're stuck in the behavior and the customs of this world. We look like everyone else, right? And what does that look like? Well, we focus on ourselves. We're self-focused. We, we are greedy. We're mean. We, we hate people. We lie. We lust. We have no self-control. All of that stuff, that is like the default setting for humanity in a broken world. So that's what everybody looks like at the start. But when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to, to set our lives aside and, 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 and basically sacrifice our old selves and our desires, well, things begin to change. We begin a process of transformation, of sanctification, where God's Holy Spirit actually changes not just what we do, but how we think, how we see the world. It's a transformation that makes us look different than the world around us. We start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. We begin thinking in terms of, of new creation, right, which God is, is bringing up around us. We start seeing new creation everywhere we look. We're not just generous and kind. We actually want to be generous and kind. We begin to, to care for people that the world says we should hate and exclude. We grow in self-control. We, we master our animalistic urges. And we start demonstrating self-giving love to everyone we meet. In other words, we do become weirdos. But we become weirdos when compared to the values and the behaviors of our broken world. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? That is the process of sanctification. We become more and more like Christ. Now, this does not happen overnight. Ask anybody who's been walking with Jesus for decades, and they'll tell you, no, this is an ongoing process that pretty much lasts your entire life. It's a lifelong process. But this is exactly the kind of transformation that happens when we put our lives on the altar, when we surrender it all, when we say, put me in, coach. This life, it's not mine anymore. It's yours. When that happens, we begin to change. When we sacrifice our lives to God, he transforms us. 
to look like Jesus. So, it starts with sacrifice. It leads to transformation. And then, Paul says this at the end of verse 2, then we learn God's will for us. We learn God's will for us. In other words, at this point in the process, this is when we begin to discover our purpose, our destiny even, beginning to realize the, the reason that God made us in the first place. We talk all the time at Grace about, uh, about you know, every person being created uniquely with a, with a purpose, something, something that is just for you to do, to, to be a part of healing this broken world in Jesus' name. Paul says this in another letter. We quote this verse all the time. We are God's masterpiece, right? He shaped us. He, craft, he crafted us on purpose. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's that transformation, that sanctification, so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. In other words, there's a reason that you are here. You're not just here to live your life and die. You are here for a purpose. And you discover that purpose as God transforms you to look and think and act like Jesus. And that transformation begins when you take the bold step of sacrificing your entire life to God. Put me in, coach. Those weirdos around the world that I met, those extremists of the faith, they were all a part of changing lives and healing the world and transforming this world and making a difference. They had found their purpose. And at first, I thought the reason they could have such deep impact was because they were cut from a different kind of cloth. But now I understand that that, that level of world change is exactly what we should all expect when we put our lives on the altar, like they did. And we say, again, God, this life is yours now. It's not mine anymore. So that is how Paul starts Romans 12. He kind of throws down the gauntlet and he says, look, if we want to know why we're here, then we must be all in for Jesus. A living sacrifice, changing in the very way that we think. Weirdos in a selfish world. That's what we're called to be. Now, in the next few weeks, we are going to explore what this looks like practically in our lives. Like, how do we sacrifice our lives to God in our workplace, in our schools? Like, what does this actually look like? How, as a church, do we, do we act as living sacrifices for one another? And so we're going to talk about all that um, specifically. But this is kind of heavy, kind of important stuff. Do we agree on that? This is kind of a big deal. It doesn't get much more fundamental than this. And so Rather than diving right into specifics today, what I'd rather do is give you a few moments of self-reflection, okay? I want you to think about this and think about your own life in these terms. And so I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to answer as honestly as you can in your heart, okay? Answer as honestly as you can in your heart. And I'm going to say this right out of the gate. None of this, when I ask you these questions, none of this is meant to be a guilt trip, Okay, I do not want you to think, man, I'm just not a very good follower of Jesus today. I don't want, that's not what I want from you. What I want from you is to recognize that there is an invitation in front of you. Regardless of how mature you are in your faith, there is an invitation in front of you to experience life, 
to experience abundance and joy and purpose. This is right there. It's right in front of you. All you have to do is take your hands off the controls. There's an invitation in front of you. So that's why I'm asking these questions. Will you take the invitation? So here's the first big question. This is the main question I want you to think about. How much of your life have you surrendered to God? How much of your life is a, is a living sacrifice to God? Do you live with that attitude of put me in coach? How much of your life is like that? Or to put it another way, how much of a weirdo are you when compared to the behavior and the customs of the world around us? I'll get specific. How much of your time and energy do you dedicate to God? Let's imagine I drew a big long line on the stage here and, uh, and over there, let's just say at the far end, you are all in, right? You're, you're like those weirdos I met around the world. Every last breath of your life is, is dedicated to the kingdom of God, okay? But over there on the other side, you know, your faith is barely an afterthought, right? It is really not much more than an Instagram bio. That's all it is, okay? So on that spectrum, where would you put yourself? All in, barely in, where are you? Where are you? What percentage of your time and your energy is devoted to the purposes of God? And we'll talk about this more in, in the weeks to come. Just so I'm clear, I'm not asking how many of you have given up like, your career to start full-time ministry because you can be dedicated to the purposes of God in your workplace, but how often are you thinking that way? That's what I'm asking, okay? All right? Now, this is a question about your life, about every, every part of your life, all of your time and energy, and, and maybe that's a bit too vague, uh, but I could also ask about your time and energy that you commit to Grace Church, to your church, your spiritual family. I have a, all right, this is going to be a, probably an uncomfortable question, uh, and this is probably, everyone's going to be avoiding me in the lobby after service because I'm asking these questions, but whatever, I'm, I'm just going to do it. It's part of the job. Here we go. If everybody at Grace dedicated the same amount of time and energy to building into investing in this church family as you, how would this church be doing? <laughs> right? Are you all in for grace? Are you all in beyond? If everybody attended as often as you do, how would this church be doing? Okay, I could ask this question a lot of ways. How much time and energy are you devoting to God? That's the question. We could also talk, though, about the resources that you, that you dedicate to the kingdom. Your resources, your, your stuff, your money, right? Just like in Romans 12, I think it is the rational and logical thing to do to give back to God off the top of what we earn. Because look, if we are fully surrendered, right, this life is yours, not mine, if that's our attitude, then everything we have is his anyway, right? We are just stewards of his resources. And so I think it makes sense to set aside a generous portion of what he has given us to invest in the things that he cares about. So how all in are you with your money, with your stuff? Are you tithing your income? I'll ask that. And I don't just mean 10%. It could be any amount. But are you giving a percentage off the top of what you earn right back to God? Are you, are you using your resources to, to care for the poor and the marginalized of our world? We know God cares a lot about healing and justice. I'll put it this way. Are you a weirdo when it comes to your, your financial values compared to the world around you? 
Or are you just, like, like Paul says, are you copying the behavior and the customs of our world by being just as stressed and tight-fisted with your money as everybody else? Are you a weirdo? How all-in are you? And again, I'll ask for grace specifically. You're, you're a part of this church family, so I'll ask that uncomfortable question again. If everybody at Grace shared their resources with this community with the same level of, of commitment and dedication as you, how would our church be doing? How would our church be doing? Again, this is not a guilt trip. It's not a guilt trip. may feel like it. It's not. It's not a guilt trip. It's an invitation. I talk all the time about the, what I call the positive feedback loop of blessing, right? It's a very biblical principle that, that God's blessing is poured out on us, and when we give it away, God blesses us with even more so we can give even more away. It's the positive feedback loop of blessing. Are you tapped into that? Biblical abundance. Are you all in with your resources? Finally, Let's just do a little bit of self-evaluation of your heart. To what degree have you sacrificed your desires to God? Your desires. We can draw that line on the, on the stage again. Are you living for what you want? Or are you living for what God wants? Or somewhere in between? Where would you put yourself on that line? How is that journey of sanctification going for you? To what degree do your desires actually resemble the heart of God? Do your desires look like the desires of Jesus? N.T. Wright, I, I mentioned him earlier, N.T. Wright, that New Testament theologian, I love the way he think, talks about this. He says that in the new creation, uh, love is the language that we're all going to be speaking, okay? We're all going to be speaking love fluently. He says, in, in fact, in new creation, we're going to be singing in it. We're going to be so fluent in love. Right now, it's like we're learning a new language because it's kind of got some weird grammar and it's a little bit tricky to memorize the vocab. Like, you know, it's Duolingo with love right now is what we're trying to do. And, and, and yet someday we're going to be singing in it. So if that's the journey that we are walking on to become like Jesus, how far along are you? How fluent are you in the language of love? How closely do your desires, the desires of your heart, match the desires of your creator? Or again, if everybody at Grace Church had the same desire as you to live out the love of Jesus, how would this church be doing? How would we be doing? Now look, none of this is easy. All right, there's a reason that Jesus talked about following him in terms of dying to ourselves. And there's a reason that Paul talks about sacrifices. But remember, remember, you are a masterpiece of God. You were created, designed with a purpose. You were made to be a weirdo, a weirdo who dedicates your life to the healing of this broken world side by side with your creator. You were created to show your hurting neighbors that there is another way to live, to show them what's possible, a life of joy, a life of hope, a life of peace, a life of abundance. You can show them that. It may involve dying to yourself, but being all in for Christ, being a living sacrifice, it is truly the only way to come alive. Let's pray. Well, Father, again, this is hardly an easy thing for us. 
kind of the whole point is the fact that this is not easy. This is difficult. Paul would not have had to spell it out so clearly if this was the easy breezy thing for us to do. And so, God, I pray against any spirit of discouragement with this idea that we're not doing enough or we haven't, we're not far enough along our journey. Would you just dispel that from our minds and let us just see that gleaming invitation to experience the kind of life that you desire for us, fully surrendered, fully committed, and, and just resting in who you have called us to be, to your abundance, your joy, your life, your love. We want to be that kind of church, and we want to be that kind of individuals. So, Father, we trust you to walk with us. Keep sanctifying us, God, with the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as a part of this series, uh, I know that some of these topics are a little bit uh, theological. They're a bit out there, maybe a bit esoteric. What we want to do is to introduce you to some people at Grace, humble people that have pretty much all not wanted to get on stage to talk about themselves, but we're asking them to because they have invested so much in this church family. They are all in, and we want you to meet them and hear a little bit about their heart. What are they feeling and thinking, uh, and why do they give so much of their energy to Grace? And so right now, I would love for you guys to meet uh, my dear friend, Jim Swanson. So Jim, come on up on stage. Many of you know Jim. You welcome him. Thank you. Uh, so Jim played a significant role in, in helping to build the set for the Music Man. And uh, another Jim, we call them Jim and Jim, uh, as you would, uh, Jim Fansler was going to be a part of this interview. He's not feeling well right now. He's in the hospital. So if you could be praying for Jim, that would be amazing. But Jim Swanson graciously offered to solo this, uh, this interview. Jim, I know you always talk about how many other people have helped to make this set possible, but you literally could have slept here and put a cot in the back because you were here so many hours. Tell us a little bit about what you did to make this set a reality. Well, you're right. Uh, there were a whole lot of people that had a lot to do with putting this together. I kind of coordinated things a little bit. And um, as Barry mentioned, Jim Fansler was the sign painter, mm -hmm. and that kind of made all the... Uh, the pieces just stand out. John over here was uh, here uh, a lot of hours, and uh, uh, Nathan Manlove was here nearly every day. So uh, just a whole lot of people were involved. Um, most of the set pieces that you see were things that we had used in previous things, like the rotating stage went back to uh, Sound of Music when we did that in uh, 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had to replace the casters because the rubber deteriorated, but uh, it still rotates, so that's good. And um, one of the challenges we found was uh, getting the roof up on the library. It's about 18 and a half feet in the air, and uh, that was a bit tricky, but it's up there, and it stayed up there, so that's good. <laughs> Hasn't fallen even once. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, so, Jim... I know that this is only one small part of what you've invested in this church family. You're an usher. You, you show up so much. You're, you're such a huge um, part of this church family. Why is it such an important thing for you to, to invest in your church? Why do you do it? Well, um, it, it, a lot of it goes back to my parents. They were very involved. And uh, so I, I grew up being involved in the church. Um, and when it came to grace, um, I guess my first experience was Paul Thompson said, 
can you build a kiosk for a coffee or to serve coffee? Mm -hmm. So that went back to the warehouse days. So uh, it goes back a long ways. Yeah. And you've been behind the table saw ever since. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> a lot of sawdust. That's right, that's right. But obviously, your investment in this church comes from a deep well of your investment in the purposes of God. You love Jesus, and, and uh, you, you want to be all in with him in so many ways. I've heard you say as much to me. Can you just talk briefly about wh where does this all come from when it comes to your faith? And is there anything you would love the people of grace to think about when it comes to investing their lives into the purposes of God? Well, uh, I don't want it to make it sound like it's a a difficult thing or a, something that is, um, you know, a, a deep sacrifice because there's a lot of just personal benefit, satisfaction, things like that that come from serving others. Um, I, I think the thing to keep in mind is using your passion, your skills, the things that you like to do to serve others. And, um, I, you know, I happen to do woodworking, but there's all kinds of other things that can be uh, used for God's glory. And um, I do get several requests to do things for people that uh, probably wouldn't if I wasn't involved in this church. So it's, um, it's just one way of doing it. Now, everybody has different passions and different skills. And I would say find out what yours is, jump in, and uh, don't wait. Do it now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Jim. And we are so grateful for all that you serve, all that you do to serve our community. And this is an incredible set. And I haven't, I haven't heard anybody, like, stop talking about how incredible this set is. So well done to you and your crew of people who were all part of it as well. So would you guys thank Jim for just investing in us today? I... Uh, as you were speaking, Jim, I was just thinking uh, if we asked the question of like, if everybody was investing as much time and energy in their church as Jim, how would we be doing? And I realized we'd be like, we'd have church on the moon by now. Like we'd be doing incredible. So um, guys, we're going to sing one more song or listen to one more song. And I suppose sing if you want to, but I just want to give you an invitation just to think again about what is God inviting you into? What is the Spirit asking of you? Not out of a, uh, some kind of big sacrifice of pain, and, and, but like, what is He inviting you into to experience the joy and the life and the abundance that comes from giving your life to Him?